Hello there, I'm Eric Peckham, and this is the Monetizing Media Podcast. As with my Monetizing Media newsletter, my goal is to dissect business opportunities across the media, entertainment, and gaming sector. I'm joined by a leading entrepreneur, executive, or investor in each episode as we dig into a case study on their company, an investment thesis they have, or other tactical insights on business models, pricing, and creating loyal fans. Today's episode features James Savage, the co-founder, CEO, and publisher of The Local. The Local operates a collection of English-language news sites for expats, foreign students, and international professionals in nine European markets, Austria, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy, Norway, Spain, Sweden, and Switzerland. Founded in 2004 in Stockholm, The Local introduced a freemium €5-per-month membership model in 2017 and has seen its subscriber base double during the current COVID-19 pandemic. Its monthly visitors also soared from an average of 7 million to over 17 million this past March. James was kind enough to share a case study on the local's bundling, pricing, and promotional strategy, on optimizing its conversion funnel with newsletters and a native app, and on how it responded to COVID-19 and aims to retain the surge of new members. Well, James, wonderful to chat today. Likewise, good to be here. I'm really excited to dig into the journey you've had in monetizing the local, particularly since 2017 when you did the switchover from advertising to subscription. From February this year to mid-June this year, you jumped from 11,000 subscribers to 26,000 subscribers during the pandemic, mm. which is a huge jump and, and was part of a dramatic shift in your business as advertising disappeared. To start, we talked last time about the particularities of your audience and how a lot of advertisers didn't understand the particular target group that you had identified. Mm. Well, just to start with, we were 11 journalistic editorial employees and we're 20-something employees in general. We've been advertising funded since 2004, but when we wanted to grow the business, we hit this brick wall with certain kinds of advertisers, with the advertisers who predominated in the countries where we are based. So we, we always did quite well with advertisers who want to reach an expat audience, which is a core of our audience, so health insurance companies and that thing, who were advertising internationally. But we found that, for instance, in our markets in Sweden and Germany and France, we couldn't get our hands on the big consumer campaign dollars. We couldn't get that money for ourselves because our group of readers was just not recognized as a group. It wasn't, they were not in the advertisers' plans. So, but we had a good size audience. Back then, we were already at 5 million uniques a month. It's a decent size audience. We should have been able, for the size of our business, we should have been able to earn uh, decent money from them. And we saw that our readers were dedicated, they needed us. And so we were looking for new ways to, new ways to earn money. And the subscriptions was an obvious thing to look at. It's an interesting paradox that you ran into, which is that you identified a unique audience base that really wasn't being served by others, which is a great business opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a demographic that has a lot of spending power. It was very valuable. And yet, because you identified a new group that wasn't already widely targeted, it was difficult to monetize that on the advertising. Yeah, that's exactly. It's frustrating and irritating. Anytime you, you identify a new demographic, it's going to be really hard to get advertisers on board because they're all working on the basis of old demographics. The only country where we found that there are domestic companies trying to reach this demographic are Switzerland, where in you know, Switzerland, there are lots of expats. It's a recognized demographic. The rest of Europe, not so much. Gotcha. So tell me about the shift to subscription. You guys decided to bundle all your country sites together as one subscription, as opposed to separate them off. How did you make that calculation? There were a few things. First of all, we wanted simplicity. We've got nine sites. 
and we wanted to have a structure that was easy to manage. We wanted to make it uh, straightforward. We also wanted it to be transparent for our readers. We've got a variety of readers who read us with slightly different intentions and, and, and for slightly different reasons. But we've got, a, we've got a certain number of readers who read multiple sites. So, you know, who might read our German site, our French site, and our Spanish site. And what we, uh, what we didn't want to do is, is, have a, is have a structure that made it prohibitively expensive for them to do that. We've also got readers who read just one site. So we wanted to make it possible for people to continue reading in the way they've always read and not to end up with what would be a sort of an unreasonable price. That's not to say that this is the only way of doing it. We might look in the future to having a scaled pricing structure where you would pay slightly more to get all sites. But that's not where we wanted to go to begin with. Are you able to share the percent of your audience at the time that you identified as multi-country? We didn't have a figure on it. Uh, we didn't know. And it, it was quite hard for us to work that out. But we knew anecdotally that we had plenty of readers who, who were doing this. We figured it was, a, it was enough to make this a reasonable um, thing to do. Not charged before, how did your team figure out the right price to launch the subscription with? And, and were there initial mistakes there because of not having done it before that it caused rapid changes? Oh, yeah. I mean, it... When you're a company the size of ours, when you're 20-something people in the whole company, you don't have all those roles who, who, who can do deep dives and studies in, in, into these kinds of questions, into that, that level of market research that some, of the, some, that some bigger players can do. So what do we do? We look at what other people are charging for similar kinds of products. So, so what are other new sites charging for a monthly subscription? And we look at where our readers come from you know, from the countries they come from and the countries they're living in, what, what are new sites charging there? And we saw that about five euros a month seemed reasonable enough. So we start from that and then we experiment and we see what's the price sensitivity. And we found that in different countries where our readers were based, there was a different level of price sensitivity, that we have slightly different demographics in different countries as well. And we found that, for, for instance, in France, we had a lot of readers who were retirees. And they were very price sensitive. Whereas in Switzerland, we had a lot of people working for multinational companies and they were particularly not price sensitive. So what we did is we had a, an official price of about five euros, 4.99 a month, or depending on the currency, 49 krona. And then we discounted a little differently depending on the, depend, depending on the market. And depending on, you know, sometimes even within markets, we, we, we stratify and sort of. And, and discounting through an initial promotional offer or how did you structure that? Yeah, so discounting through an initial promotional offer. This is what we did, particularly in France, when we saw there, we'd done, we'd done some surveys and we realized that readers there said that the sort of ideal price was a bit lower than we wanted to charge. So what we did with readers in France is we tried to get them to sign up before we put the paywall on. So we got a lot of readers in France, really loyal readers, subscribing for a discount before we put the paywall on. And they've stayed with us ever since. So we've still got quite a lot of those readers who just keep renewing every month or sometimes um, on annual subscriptions as well. And that's the other thing that we've done that we've uh, now moved. We don't any longer discount monthly subscriptions. So we now only discount on annual. And I noticed you also have a, a three-year subscription discount. How did you decide that it made sense to go a level beyond the annual subscription? And what was the calculation and how much to discount that? 
So the three-year subscription was something that we did basically, if I can be honest, we did it as a decoy. We wanted to use that to push people towards the annual subscription. And on most countries, that's exactly what happened. Almost all of our markets, nobody subscribes to the three-year subscription. They go annual, about 40% go annual, and about 60% go uh, monthly. But Switzerland, Switzerland, they all went, well, all went, but a lot of them went, I can't remember the exact percentage, but a lot of them started going for the three-year subscription because for them, oh, fascinating. Was, for our readers in France, that was a lot of money and it's too much to pay all at once. Um, but for our readers in Switzerland, it was a bargain. They had lots of disposable income. So for them, it made a lot more sense to pay up front for three years. Interesting. Do you recall the data from when you added that three-year subscription and how much it changed conversion to the annual rate? Did yeah. just adding that as a decoy, was that successful in causing more successful. people to go to annual? I, I, can't, I haven't got a, a precise percentage point there, but it was successful. We saw rise in annual um, subscriptions at the point that we introduced the decoy on the other sites. And then we saw a rise in, yeah, well, we saw people subscribing for three years in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, and so your, your prices then have stayed the same since the launch of the subscription, correct? Our headline prices have stayed the same, but we stopped discounting monthly and the number of people on discounted subscriptions has therefore fallen. So our average revenue per user has gone up. So our ARPU has increased, but our headline price has stayed the same. Do you do a lot of paid acquisition to generate new subscribers at the local or has it really been word of mouth community building? Very little paid acquisition. We've, we've, done some, we've done some Facebook marketing and most of the Facebook marketing has been done sort of indirectly. What we've been trying to do is get people in at the wide end of the funnel. So they're trying to get them to sign up to newsletters, app downloads, the things that we know then go on to convert people. So it's been at that level and, and it has been very successful actually. It's worked well, but it hasn't been, we haven't spent a huge amount on it. Gotcha. Tell me more about the conversion funnel there in terms of how you've set up the freemium structure, because not every article is paywalled. You allow people who, who haven't subscribed yet to still read some uh, of the locals' articles, and then you have the newsletters. I'd love to understand yeah. how you drew the lines there of what to make free, what to put behind the paywall. So news is metered. Nothing is, nothing is absolutely free, or very little is absolutely free. News is generally metered. Practical advice articles are generally paywalled. So stuff that's really going to sort of help uh, a newcomer to a country get into society, understand, what's, understand what they need to do to pay their taxes or, you know, not get thrown out the country for a visa error, those kinds of things, those are paywalled. Political news is generally, is generally metered. So we structure it that way. Uh, during the coronavirus pandemic, we've made some of our um, most critical news free and not paywalled. So not even metered. It's just been free for everybody. Yeah. So yeah, that's what we've done there. And yeah, it was a newsletter. I'm just curious how you've approached the use of newsletters as a way to convert new subscribers. Right. So we have, we have free daily newsletters with news from each country. And those have been a great way of getting people um, to subscribe. We have a very high uh, conversion rate from those newsletters. So we've heavily promoted that on site and on Facebook. 
just trying to get more and more uh, people subscribing to those newsletters. We've got about 80,000 newsletter subscribers right now. And that's a very clean list of people who are active and reading them and opening them. So there's no latency in there. It's all active subscribers. And we make those newsletters, well, they're frequent, obviously, but they're also, they're extremely useful. They provide valuable information. It's not just a promotional tool. There's lots of information that stands alone in those newsletters. So it's not, it, and it's not, so it's not just driving traffic to the site. It does that too. Do you write those newsletters just as the brand or is it from the voice of a specific writer? It's the voice of a specific, of a specific writer. So we've got a, so, uh, we've got a different newsletter for each country and each of those newsletters is written by the editor of that country site and it's chummy it's friendly it's useful it's full of full of information and loads of links onto the site and and then promotion of, of, of membership yeah how did you determine the sweet spot in frequency of newsletters that was most effective i'm not sure we have determined the sweet spot i think there might be ways of improving on what we do now even before we started with membership we had daily newsletters. When we realized that they were good at conversing, we tried to get more people to subscribe to them. One newsletter a weekday seemed reasonable enough. It wasn't a more complicated calculation than that. One of the things we have done though, which has been really successful for us, is doing specialist newsletters. In particular, one newsletter that was really successful for us um, was uh, a newsletter we did on Brexit. So about 15% of our total readership is Brits living in other European countries. Hmm. So not a huge proportion, really, but we determined that they were quite dedicated. And of course, when Brexit became an issue, it became a really big issue for them. And so we did a weekly Brexit newsletter just talking about Brexit as it affects Brits living in other European countries. And my God, that was a fantastic uh, way of converting people. It still is one of our best tools for conversion, even now when Brexit has been a thing for four years. How has that shaped the strategy in adding new newsletters going forward? You guys launched a pandemic-specific newsletter as well, I believe. What we did is we converted our daily newsletters into pandemic newsletters. The fact is it was the main news story, and we just made them all about the pandemic for a period. And of course, what that... I think like most, peop most people did, we didn't feel the need to start creating a new, a new database from the beginning. We just, okay, we'll just use the, use the people we've got. But of course, that was very, they, they were very, those new tests were very, very good during the pandemic at getting people to convert. Yeah. Um, it was astonishing to see, the, see, see how that happened. Yeah. What in your analysis drove this explosion of new members over the last few months as a pandemic went underway? I think one of the things that stuck out to me is you guys were transparent with your readers about the company's financials and, and encouraging them to become members as a way to support you guys as advertising revenue went down. How much do you think it was readers having empathy and wanting to support you guys versus content you were creating or other strategies you introduced? The messaging around it clearly had an impact. We saw that when we changed the messaging on site to talk very frankly, about the fact that advertising in particular was screwed because of the pandemic. It had an immediate impact. We saw the number of conversions increase. So that, that was very, very clear. I, I would say that we saw a lot more conversions on places where we didn't have that messaging. So I think there was, there was also a really big element of people just needing information. 
people finding that they were living often in a country where quite what you might you might say draconian and it's a loaded word maybe but you know draconian restrictions were being introduced overnight they were having to relate to those uh, to, to those restrictions trying to understand what it meant for them trying to understand how they how they could obey those restrictions and so they had a real need for, for direct practical information mm -hmm. we've got a lot of our readers a sort of secondary group of people who are traveling a lot backwards and forwards between different countries and for them as well understanding when they were going to be able to go back yeah. was a, a big issue so you know that was driving a lot of subscriptions as well it was the practical information but also absolutely we saw a very definite reaction when we said that you know this is important for our survival was it difficult deciding to approach readers from a position of weakness and asking <laughs> for help i see it debated a lot in in discussions of membership models with journalism organizations how much to frame it around we provide value and you should pay because you value what we do versus an ask that's about supporting a cause you care about. We've gone backwards and forwards on this a lot. And I think it's all a question of how you frame it. We're quite clear about the fact that we are a business, a business that is, that is grounded in a community, but nonetheless, we are very much a business. And we were very specific about the sorts of things that we were saying to our readers here, treating them as adults, saying, you guys have probably read elsewhere that advertising is a difficult business, even when it's, there's not a pandemic. Now, when there is a pandemic, advertising is really not a great way for publishers to make money. Mm -hmm. We need you to subscribe. We want to be fully funded by our readers because we think that's a better way for us to provide you with the information that you need in the future. And that sort of messaging, I think, went home it was more just it was it was home truths as much as anything else yeah just being quite frank yeah i'm curious is there um a typical life cycle of a new subscriber you see in the sense of people will initially subscribe as they've gotten a job in a foreign country and so a lot of the content they're focused on is related to entry into a country and then later it shifts to news in the country and things that expats living there would focus on more so than new immigration questions. Um, and, and if you see that life cycle, how did these new subscribers during the pandemic fit into that? Are they the same or you're thinking about retaining them in a different way? I mean, it's quite early days for us to really know exactly how these subscribers are going to pan out. We've got our theories, but we haven't really tested them yet. We're getting to the point where we maybe can. I mean, certainly what you said a minute ago was true, that people would join for the practical stuff, but then we will see that they're engaging with news stories. They're engaging with, 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 with stuff that's got a bit more long-term shelf life for us, which is super important. They read explainers about politics and the economy, and those things have high levels of engagement and, and loyalty uh, scores. What we're trying to do with them is to, get, is, to, is, to, is to form habit with them. So we're trying to promote app downloads with them because we find that the app is a great retention tool and it's a great conversion tool as well. Mm -hmm. It gives us opportunities to send them push notifications, get them more engaged in, in, in what we're doing. And so that's how we're targeting them now. That's how we're trying to build habits and getting them reading about other stuff that's happening in the country. One potential weakness for us of these pandemic readers is these are clearly people who've in many cases been living in the country a long time but haven't bothered to engage with the news. It's people who are living in a country but are not of that country can very often be a little disconnected from it and be fine with being disconnected from it. Our view is that there's always a point of, 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 of connection there. 
they are still living there. There yeah. is stuff that they're interested in. And it's finding a way to decomplicate it, to make it relevant to them, not report every fart and burp of politics, you know? Yeah. I- I'm curious how important in retaining people are some of the community building activities you do. I saw you have go over 1,500 members of a, a local Facebook group that's just about reading Swedish books for members in Sweden. They're super important for both um, retaining and uh, converting. They're not up there with newsletters and, you know, the direct newsletters and the app are the absolute core, but but they are important, we, as well as the news, uh, the book group, which is a great, that, that one of our journalists in Sweden has, has sort of done off her own batch. It was a great initiative that she took. We've also got Facebook groups living in France, living in Italy, living in Spain. They're branded with the local, but it's more subtle. We make sure that we, when there's stuff that's particularly relevant for that group, we'll put it in there and just get people flowing through to the site. It's both for retention, but also for conversion. It's a way of relating to people on different, on different levels. Yeah. Well, James, excited to keep reading the local and watching it grow. Oh, hope you do. Thanks for listening to the Monetizing Media Podcast. To keep learning more tactical insights on the media, entertainment, and gaming industry, subscribe to my Monetizing Media newsletter at monetizingmedia.com.